Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of us are aware and frustrated by the reality that so many of our institutions have drifted from their original purpose. And what I mean by that is we have all these things in our world, in our existence, that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. The most obvious one is government, which is supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. And yet, we become all too keenly aware that it's a government filled with people who are of myself, by myself, for myself. And it's all about power and hanging on to it. Our schools, our universities, places meant for learning, for teaching that will equip us with reading, writing, and arithmetic, instead have become consumed with pushing ideologies. They've drifted from what they are supposed to be functioning as. The church isn't immune to drift. Losing sight of why it's here after all. And indeed, we can be wrapped up in things like windows and floors and bills and attendance numbers and offering numbers and so many things can capture our attention. We think that the kingdom of God is all about putting out this fire or putting out that fire. Jesus reminds Peter, his disciples, and you and me of what the church is really about. Back two chapters before our gospel in Matthew 16, Jesus had said to Peter, when, Jesus, or when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter and this confession that Christ is the Son of the living God is on what the church is built. This charge from the Christ to bind and loose. To forgive sins. And yet Peter, two chapters later in our gospel for today from Matthew 18, doesn't quite get what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is talking about a math, an economy, that is not of this world. It's nonsensical. 
places no limit on the debt of sin that is to be forgiven. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter's words probably make sense to us. How many times should we let someone burn us? (laughs) Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And of course, what Jesus is saying is not that Forgiveness happens 490 times and stops on 491. It's that forgiveness. Mercy is what the church is all about after all. And to illustrate it, Jesus tells us a parable. We have to unpack a little bit of the language here so that it makes a little more sense to our ears. It starts off with Jesus saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. What in the world is a talent? How much even is that? Well, the footnote in my Bible says that one talent is about 20 years wages. So consider what a regular craftsman or worker in that day might have made in one year. One talent is 20 years wages. 10,000 talents is 200,000 years wages. So say you're a person that makes $50,000 a year. In 20 years, you would make 100,000? Yeah, 100,000? No. $1 million in 20 years. We're talking 10,000 times 100 million. My math's not working on the fly in the pulpit. It's more than this man can even ever dream of repaying. He could live a thousand lifetimes and never have enough to pay back his master. And Jesus uses this parable to illustrate what the debt of sin is to you and me. Don't even think of making payment, of trying to even the score with God. You'd have to be a fool. And, of course, this master is owed what's coming to him. So when he couldn't pay the debt, says he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Then we read that that master does something that no one in their right mind would do. No one owed that much money would do what this man does. Out of pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. 
The better word there, rather than pity, is mercy. Out of mercy for him, he released him and forgave the debt. (laughs) You see, that's how it is in God's kingdom. That's how it is for you and me. You and me. With a debt to our names that we can't even begin to fathom evening the score on. And yet by the blood of the one who comes to die for the sins of the world, the debt is canceled, better yet, paid in full, and the Father shows mercy. The parable then takes a tragic turn. The servant goes out after being forgiven an unthinkable debt. Says he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is one day's wage. So, a hundred days' wages. It's not a small sum. If you were owed, basically one-third, one-fourth of a year's wages, you'd probably want to get it back. He seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Notice he speaks to that servant the same way that that servant had spoken to the master. Have patience, have pity on me, I will pay you. He refused And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The tragedy here is that one who had been forgiven so much could not turn around and forgive another. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, my dear friends in Jesus, the church is built on forgiveness, on mercy, on not settling scores but rather canceling debts. And to not extend forgiveness. To not extend mercy to your fellow Christian, to your fellow man or woman or child is not only wrong, it's damnable. It is wickedness. And Jesus makes this point over and over. 
In fact, we say it week in and week out. And whenever we say it privately or in our homes, when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus' own words presume that we are being forgiven while at the same time we are forgiving one another. It can be no other way. Forgiveness is what the church rests upon. The blood of Jesus that forgives sinners. Those who are forgiven turning around and being the forgiving. Oh, I'm aware that this is harder put into practice than it is in principle. It sounds so simple. You are forgiven, so turn around and forgive. And yet, we're mindful of the size of some of those debts. We possibly let go when we've been wronged, we've been hurt, we've been mistreated. There's only one way. It's to continue to fix our eyes on the one who never, ever fails to forgive. As the writer of the Hebrews reminds us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. With eyes fixed on Jesus and his cross, And seeing the great love showered upon you and me, God by his Holy Spirit will work love and forgiveness and mercy in your heart. He is faithful and he will not fail you. He will forgive and he will teach you to forgive as well. You see, that servant caught up in the debt that was owed to him failed to see what a treasure he had in his fellow servant. That that fellow servant was one who also was to receive mercy. There's a debt of sin that you can't pay. But it's been canceled and forgiven. And that same act of mercy has been shown to every one of your fellow Christians, to every one of your fellow man, even those who do not believe in the name of Christ. He paid for their sins as well. With a bond like that, rather than focusing on the debt that someone else might owe to you, 
recognize the treasure that that person is. I believe I've said this before, but it bears repeating here. There's so much that we can't take with us into eternity in this life. We certainly can't take our riches or our homes or our vehicles, our status or our pride or our reputations. Those things don't have lasting value. You have one thing in this world that will last with you into eternity. And that's your fellow Christian. That you will take with you. God grant you his spirit that declares to you you are forgiven without doubt, without question. Your debt is canceled. By that spirit, forgive one another. Show mercy to all for that is where the church belongs. That is the rock on which it's built. The blood of Jesus Christ that makes us forgiven and forgiving. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.